Well, my name is Abe. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, I'm one of the elders and teachers at Soma Tacoma. And I just want to say a welcome to everyone who's here. Happy New Year. This is our first kind of regular gathering of the year. If you're new with us, we have a class today right after the gathering called Intro to Soma. It's about 45 minutes and it will give you just a little bit more information about who we are as a church family and uh, what we understand it to, to mean to be the people of God, to be the church. And so that's right after the gathering today if you'd like some more information about who we are as a church family. Well, the year is a divinely created time when God uh, created the sun and the moon and the stars. Genesis 1.14, God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. So God actually created a year. He knew it would take 365.25 days for the earth to go all the way around the sun one time. He knew that. He created it that way. And so if you're a bit sort of skeptical or turned off by the whole idea of New Year's resolutions, on the one hand, I can understand that. And on the other hand, I think it might be good for us to look at a year and say, hey, what, what has God done in the last divinely ordained 365-day period of time? Now, of course, you could argue that it's arbitrary when that time begins and ends, but if you're that skeptical, then I just got nothing else to say to you. But we, it, it seems wise to say, what has God done in the last year, and, and how might he want us to prepare our hearts for the next year? And for me personally, typically, the week between Christmas and, and New Year's Day is a time where I spend some time reflecting and then prayerfully preparing for the new year ahead. This year, we had a death in our family. My wife's father passed away on December 22nd, so that week was very different than normal. And for our church family, the way the calendar felt was different. We had Christmas on a Sunday, New Year's Day on a Sunday. So here we are, and it's already the 8th. We're already more than a week into this thing. And yet, today, we're going to spend time talking about 2016 as a year, as a church family, and then look ahead to 2017. So at the end of 2015, the Holy Spirit said to the elders and some of our leaders that we needed to focus 2016 on becoming a healthy church, specifically becoming a healthy church family. Those are some of the key words that he gave us for 2016, and oh my goodness, we had no clue how big that was going to be for us as a family. We did know that he wanted us to say no to two sort of programs that we have done for the last several years that have helped serve churches all around the country and even all around the world by allowing people to come and live with us for a while and do some training. These two programs called Soma School and Soma Immerse. We said, you know what, we're not going to do those in 2016. We're going to focus on becoming a healthy church family. That proved to be a great decision that God really blessed. We're thankful. During 2016, I took a three-month leave of absence after hitting a significant place of burnout and brokenness in the fall of 2015. 
And if you were here for the Wounded Healer series in the fall, you got to hear a lot about what the Holy Spirit did in my heart and in my life during that three-month leave of absence. It was profound and life-changing to say the least. A few highlights, I learned a lot about abiding in Jesus, walking with Jesus constantly in the everyday stuff of life. I learned a lot about receiving the Father's love, specifically through affirmation and affection. And I just want to remind us, there's a difference between being childlike and being childish. Scripture calls us to be childlike, and I, and I think it's childlike to say to our Heavenly Father, Dad, what do you think of me? I don't think that's childish. I think our dad wants us to engage him that way and to receive his love that way. I learned a lot about uh, emotional identification and articulation with the Spirit and with Jesus, my sympathetic high priest. He suffers with me. He knows how I feel, and he wants me to go on walks with him or sit with him and say, Holy Spirit, Jesus, this is how I feel right now. And he enters into those emotions with me. And then finally, I learned a lot about relinquishing care of people to Jesus. I had found a lot of my significance through my ability to take care of other people. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the one who will lead people beside quiet waters. I'm the one who restores souls. So keep giving people back to me. It was huge. And I want to say thanks again to our church family and to our elders for the way that you all loved me and served me and cared for me and my family through that process. I'm so grateful. In the spring, we also had Mark Tilden return to the elder team. He had been on a leave of absence uh, for over a year. And Mark uh, returned to the elder team. And we are so thankful for Mark and his wife, Roseanne, and the many, many ways that they serve our church family. Mark... um, The oversight that you bring to our finances and to some administrative stuff as a church family is invaluable. Thank you so much. Uh, You work so hard alongside our FA team, our financial advisory team. Many of our members of our financial advisory team are here. And alongside Ron Odeman, who Ron volunteers 20 hours a week at least to serve our church family and overseeing things like accounting and payroll and human resources. So... Those are some people that we're super thankful for. And Mark, we're so grateful for you, brother. And thank God for the grace that he's poured out on you and on Roseanne and the amazing work that he's been doing in your lives. In the fall, we went through a wounded healer process. The leaders retreat was a key part of that. It started really in the summer with the elders and leaders beginning to ask How have we been broken as a church family? What are some of the big wounds that were in our past in the formative years of our church that have been having negative ripple effects into the current present situation? We asked that also about blessings. What are the blessings of our past that are having ripple effects into the present? We were open to the Spirit's conviction. We we conferred together with lots of people. We got lots of input. By God's grace, we had a repentant posture And we were focusing on obedience and bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. And God's grace was poured out on our church family during that that time. We heard so many stories from so many of you about how God used the process that he was leading the elders and the leaders through to really impact the whole church. You might remember at the end of the Wounded Healer process, which was just a few months ago in November, we had 
multiple people stand up and bear witness and give testimony to the reality of how Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were bringing healing and deliverance and greater freedom in their lives. That happened this year. That's amazing. Kind of the key verse for that series, that process was 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. So our prayer, our hope is that we would continue to experience the comfort of God, okay? We don't just engage healing for a season. It's a lifelong thing. And as we engage healing with a with a humble, open, repentant, obedient posture, right? The Spirit meets us, and we receive the comfort of God. And it is a miracle, to be honest with you, that God would be that gracious to us. And then we actually have something to offer others who are suffering and hurting. Also this fall, Randy Sheets, another one of our elders, took um, a, a season off of preaching Randy came off of vacation this summer. He shared this with the church family at one point, feeling a lot of fear and a lot of, like, a lack of passion. The Spirit had identified these issues in his life, and, and the Holy Spirit was beginning to show him how these things were connected to his story, connected to stuff in some family of origin. And I'll tell you, these last four months have been an amazing ride uh, for my brother. It's been super hard. And he and I talked this morning. He knows everything I'm going to say, so no surprises. But um, God's been doing an, an amazing work in Randy's heart. And we believe that very soon you're going to get to hear about that. Um, God's doing some great things, bringing a lot of healing and transformation to our brother and beginning to set him free from that, that crippling fear that he'd been experiencing and beginning to, to renew his passion in, in awesome ways. So that's another awesome thing that God did, right? And then finally, and we could go on and on. I'm just going to highlight one more thing from 2016. Back in the fall of 2015, we did a sermon series called Good News for Everyone. One of the talks we did was on race and how the good news of the gospel is for people from every nation on planet Earth. In Revelation 7, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation are going to be at the throne of God, worshiping Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And how, as a church family, we want to begin to understand what would it look like for us to actually pursue that in the here and now. Because we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we know what it looks like in heaven, so why doesn't it look like that here? That was in the fall of 2015. And so in 2016, by God's amazing grace, we were actually able to like take a couple little steps forward in that. So our elders and some of our leaders are praying with... Some, some leaders from, from other churches, our friend Lonnie Arnold, who preached here in July, um, amazing African-American brother. We've just met some Korean brothers who are going to start praying with us, too, from another church plant here in town. So we, God's beginning to do a little something around that and has, has instructed our hearts as elders, especially, around this issue. And I'll just tell you, we're not going to stop banging this drum. We're not going to stop banging this drum. On earth as it is in heaven is how Jesus taught us to pray. And so we're just going to plan to go ahead and live that way. 
So God has done so much in the last year. I mean, honestly, Randy and I were in the office the other day talking and praying and working through some stuff. And it was the very same room where on December 22nd, 2015, we had a conversation with me about potentially stepping down as an elder. And now here we are just about a year later looking, at, at, looking behind us and going, look at all that God has done. Are you kidding me? And we said, we feel like we're living in a movie. Like it's that crazy and that amazing what God has done. So I just want to remind us of a couple verses. First, Lamentations chapter 3. You're like, hold on, we're celebrating. Why Lamentations? Because this, these two verses are the shift in the book. Okay? For the first two and a half chapters, Jeremiah's like, oh boy, this is really bad. And, and this is where it shifts. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, and thus they are new every year. Great is your faithfulness. Now listen, I'm going to have to try real hard not to preach too long on this, but there is power in praise. It is very simple. It's very simple, but very difficult. Do you know we were actually made to speak the praises of God? That's what you were created to do. So in one sense, it's the most normal thing you could do. And yet, I feel in my heart, and I'm guessing you feel in yours, it's one of the most difficult things to open my mouth and say, God, you are holy. Why is it so hard to do that? Because of sin, right? So we were made to do a certain thing. Darn, I'm slipping into it. I told you I wasn't going to preach on this. There's power in praise. So right now, I just want to say, God, you've been faithful to us. You have been merciful to us. Your steadfast love has not failed us this year. Thank you, Father. And in a few minutes, you're going to have a chance to thank God together too. And then another verse I want to exhort us with on this and then move on. Philippians 1.6. I'm sure of this, Paul says. I am sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Listen, God has been at work in this church in the last year, and he's been at work in many of you, and guess what? He's not going to stop. He's not going to stop. He's not going to stop. He's up to something. Now, in order for you and I to experience the transformative power of God, I think we have to walk in humility. We have to be open to repentance. We've got to be in community. We want to listen to the Spirit. We've got to be ready to obey. Okay, there's, like, we've got to give God something to work with here. But listen, He's already inside of you, and He's already moved you from death to life. So He's already done the hardest stuff. Okay, now, we're going to look ahead to 2017. A theme for this year we feel like the Spirit has given us is that we want to now establish healthy patterns. Okay, so 2016 is about like kind of beginning to find a place of health, and now we want to like establish a place of health. We want to establish some healthy patterns. Specifically, we want to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. That's what John the Baptist called people to do when they were coming out 
to be baptized by him, specifically to the Pharisees, he says, hey, listen, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. What does that mean? It means once you've repented, once the Holy Spirit has shown you something and you say, oh my goodness, I can't believe I've been living that way. I, I don't want to believe that anymore. I don't want to do that. I want to change my mind, which is what the word repent means. I want to change my mind about who I'm worshiping and about the way I'm living, and I'm going to change my mind. But now, guess what? It's got to have some impact. There's got to be some implication to our repentance. And last fall, we stood up here during the Wounded Healer series, the, 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 the elders did, and we repented of 19 wounds from our church's history. 19. Now, if we didn't try to walk in a new way, then, what's the, then what have we done? So we want to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Now, I will say, um, we're just barely scratching the surface of understanding what this means, okay? We do have some clarity on a few things. I'm going to share those with you, but we sense there's a lot more. And as a, as a church family, God is doing this in us, okay? This isn't just the elders repenting. This is our church family saying, we don't want to live this way anymore. We want new DNA. We want to be a new people of God. So if you have ideas or thoughts or the Spirit's prompting something in you of like, hey, I remember you said, you know, this wound about not submitting to the governing authorities. I have an idea about how we could bear fruit and keep me with repentance in that. We'd love to hear it. We'd love to hear it. We're at the very beginning of this. But I do want to highlight a few things as we look ahead. First, I want to talk about one blessing, and then we'll talk about four wounds. First, the blessing. One of the blessings that we identified by God's grace was our emphasis on mission, particularly mission in all of life and having an outward focus. We said since the beginning of Soma, that's been a hallmark of who we are as a church family. And I just want to point out that even though in 2016 we said we're about becoming a healthy family, and in 2017 we were saying we're going to establish healthy patterns, it doesn't mean we're becoming like some insular, inward-focused, you know, hyper-therapeutic church, okay? Guess what? The Great Commission is still the Great Commission. We are commanded to make disciples of all nations, the whole planet, go into the uttermost parts of the earth and tell people about Jesus Christ. That's what we've always been about. That's what we're always going to be about, okay? Now, guess what? Us getting healthy makes us more effective in that, and there was actually a lot of unhealth even in the way we were going about that. Okay, so there's a lot that needs to change, but the mission is the same. The mission is the same. This morning, a bunch of us as leaders prayed, and one of the last things we prayed for is that today in Tacoma, lots of people would come to know Jesus Christ. Okay, I hope that's encouraging for you, by the way, to hear that we're always going to be about the mission of Jesus Christ. That's a blessing. Now, some wounds. The first one, unhealthy stewardship of finances, particularly poor budgeting and accounting practices. Mark Tillman's going to come up and he's going to walk us through our budget for 2017. I will just say this, one thing as Mark's coming up, this budget process that we've gone through in the last three months has been one of the most difficult we've ever gone through. And the reason is because we sort of dug in our heels a little bit and we said, 
wait, 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 we have to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So if in, this is an extreme example, but if in, a, if in your own family's finances, the Spirit convicted you of living way beyond your means, which I don't think we've been doing, but again, it's a, I'm exaggerating to make the point. You've been living way beyond your means and you say, oh, I repent, I'm, I don't want to live that way anymore. But then you don't change anything? then nothing's going to change. You're going to be stuck in the old pattern. So we said the way we even write this budget is going to have to be pretty different if we're going to bear fruit and keep them with repentance. So, Mark, why don't you come, brother, and talk us through it. Okay, thank you, Abe. Am I? Yeah, we go. Um, you know, I, as I listen to Abe talk, it's, it's almost difficult to come up here and start talking about money because somehow money feels like I don't know, like slightly dirty, you know what I mean? Um, like it's somehow not as, as spiritual as all of the things we've been talking about. And yet, I think God has really convicted us that what he's given us are resources to accomplish that mission, resources to be healthy, resources to equip all of us to go out and be what God's called us to be. And so what this represents is not a bunch of numbers in a checkbook. This represents... Uh, tools and scaffolding and resources that God has given us to go do the things he's called us to. So I want to start really quick just by thanking God for his provision for us because another thing you've heard us say and I think is critical for us to hear over and over and over again, God is not a frustrated old man who can't get his work done because he can't get people to give enough money. God does not have some big plan that he can't quite get done because he can't get enough money. Um, he has provided for us everything we need. He's been faithful to us. We haven't always been faithful to him, but he has always been faithful to us. And these numbers represent his faithfulness. And so I just want to really quickly show you um, on the expense line there, the last three months and then year-to-date giving, which ended up being a little bit below our expenses, but the truth is that the elders and Ron and others have been really careful and faithful in the way that we've stewarded those finances, and you'll see how that informed what we're doing next year. So I just want to stop at this point and thank Jesus because he has been faithful and provided for us. Dad, you are our provider. We say that. I often don't believe it. I often believe that my hard work, um, my cleverness, whatever, provides for me, but you are our provider. We state that. We thank you, Dad, that you have, in spite of some things that we haven't done well, you have faithfully, consistently provided for our family. You are a great dad. We give you praise for that and thank you. Thank you, even in the very practical things of these numbers. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Um, so, Next picture, um, here we go. I just wanted to kind of give you, because I'm going to show you a little bit of a, a kind of a pie chart, but the pie might not mean anything to you. So just so you have an idea of what the sort of big blocks in the pie mean, um, we have an area for facilities that's basically renting space, an area for operations that's just all of the things it takes to run the, the operation here. Staffing includes salaries, insurance, all those sorts of things. And then in internal ministry is what we spend to minister with the kids and provide material and uh, the breakfast in the morning for the load-in, load-out team, stuff like that. 
And then external discipleship making that, that uh, Abe has talked about is really a critical thing. I'd like to spend just a couple more minutes on, but I don't want to drag this out too much. But look at the things that are going on there under external disciple making. We're supporting the Soma family of churches. I think we're still the largest single supporter of the Soma family, which is a group of churches that all um, associate with this Soma family. We're also supporting Justin Westcott, who is um, involved in the Soma Federal Way plant, and also Dawson that we've been hearing from, who's headed off for Slovakia. We're really excited about that. Um, we're continuing to support Todd more as he goes out and encourages and equips the uh, Soma Churches internationally. And then also Network Tacoma that's serving here in the homeless um, area. And then we've also been much more uh, explicit this year about providing some resources through a benevolence fund to take care of needs in our family through missional communities. So we'll focus on that. Let's go to the little pie chart just so you can kind of see where everything goes, okay? I'm not going to spend a bunch of time on this. We have had a commitment from the beginning that we have, am I in the way? Is that, my wife is looking at me like, get out of the way. Um, <laughs> um, now I'm in your way, but sorry, <laughs> she wins. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> um, so again, I don't, if you have any questions about any of this, anything, any questions you have in terms of what goes into these slices, that kind of thing, please come see me. And I do want to, again, say thank you as Abe did to our financial advisory team. Those of you who are here, I think most of you are here. Ryan, I see Shelly. Would you stand up? Go ahead. It's not hard. <laughs> um, these guys... Thank you, guys. These guys poured a whole bunch of time into working through the difficult choices we had to make for 17. So let's go to the next slide. Um, again, I'm not going to spend a whole bunch of time on the, on the numbers, but one of the things that we believed as elders and the financial advisory team was right on board with this is that um, bearing fruit in keeping with repentance meant that we were going to have to make some very difficult choices and budget based on what God had provided last year. It's my hope, it's our hope, that, that we will actually go back in the middle of the year uncharacteristic to what we've done and said, wow, God's given us more. What does he want us to do with this? As compared to coming back mid-year and saying, hmm, how are we going to pay the bills? And so what we've done is, you'll see in 2017, a fairly significant um, reduction. And I don't take that, per I don't believe that this is a negative. I think this is um, in the process of, of walking out repentance. I'm still in a way, aren't I? <laughs> okay. So... Again, if you've got any questions about this, I, I'm happy to share any details. And then I think we've got one more slide, right? Or is this the last of them? I think that is the last of them. I'm sorry. Okay. So um, I want to just, again, ask you to pray and ask the Holy Spirit, what does he want you to be involved in this? Because this is, again, I want to be very careful to say God is, God is our provider, not you. But what God has invited us to do is to participate in that process. And what we've always called all of our family to do is to ask the Spirit, how would you want us to use the resources he's given us? 
just as the same way that we're asking the Spirit, how would you ask us to use the resources you've given us as a larger family? So, I think that's it. Right, Abe? Thank you, Mark. Thank you very much. Yes, you can clap for that for sure. Okay, so three more wounds where we feel like we have some clarity already in terms of what it might look like or what it will look like to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Another wound was poor sense of family on a large scale. Poor sense of family on a large scale. We want there to be a greater sense of family as, as one larger body, okay? Pretty clear. So we're going to do a few things. One, we are going to do quarterly potlucks. Quarterly potlucks after the gathering. Yep, we used to eat together a lot, and then we haven't eaten together hardly at all. And so we've done a few things recently and felt like there was really good response, really good participation, a lot of excitement around it. And so we're going to do that quarterly, which is awesome. And half of the Advent Conspiracy money that we raised in December is going to boost our benevolence fund. And that goes to meet internal needs within the church family. There is a process uh, that we will be explaining pretty, pretty soon about how to actually, you know, sort of ask for those funds or how those funds get distributed. And mainly that ends up being through our missional communities, just so you know. Um, but there's definitely plans in place for how people can get assistance if needed if they're not a part of a missional community. So that's coming as well. And then also... We have plans to do a men's retreat and a women's retreat again in 2017. That was something we used to do regularly, and then we stopped doing it regularly for a while. In the last few years, it's been a little bit hit or miss. And so we feel like the Spirit wants us to really be consistent with those things. I heard rumor that there might be a slide with some information. There it is right there. Fantastic. Isaiah Magnuson in the back, killing it on the slides. Nice job. So the men's retreat is coming up quick, February 24th through the 26th. Registration's going to be opening soon for that. Financial details will be coming up soon. We're going back to the same place we were at uh, last year, out past Yelm. And the women's retreat, April 28th through 30th. So mark those dates down. And we are very excited, very thankful that we get to do those together. And those are a great way to connect as family. So if you're new, if you're wanting to get to know people, if you're wanting to connect, especially if you're a guy, write, write that February date down. It's going to be here before you know it. Okay, another wound that we feel some real clarity in terms of how to bear fruit and keep in keeping with repentance is focusing externally too soon. The, el- the elders are together and in full agreement on three decisions. Number one, I was offered the opportunity to work one day a week for the Soma family of churches, and together as elders, we decided that I would turn that down in order to continue to help establish health and vitality here in our local church family. Early on, some of our key leaders were given time outside probably too early and too much, and so we said we don't want to fall back into that pattern. Uh, We will also not be doing Soma school again this year. And we will not be doing Soma Immerse again this year. And we'll see what God has for us in the future on that. We think those are great things. There are other Soma churches around the country that are doing those. And that's awesome. And 
personally, I'd love to do that again, but we're going to have to see what the Spirit uh, leads for us in 2018. So we just, we don't know yet. And then the final wound that I want to spend the rest of our time talking about this morning, where we have some real clarity on how to bear fruit in keeping with repentance, is the wound of biblical illiteracy. The wound of biblical illiteracy. And this is where I will do some preaching. When I was 16, uh, a couple, couple big things happened. Actually, 1991. So I was 15 for half the year, 16 for the other half the year because my birthday's in the summer. That year, three, th- three big things happened. One, I got into a car accident with my brother. We were going 60 miles an hour, and we T-boned a car that was going 70. They just immediately showed up in front of us. They ran a stop sign at a blind intersection. We hit the back quarter panel of the car, spun 270 degrees around, and ended up with our back end in a little shallow pond. Neither my brother nor I had a seatbelt on, and both of us walked away without a scratch. That was in January of 1991, and I remember thinking that night pretty sure that there was some divine intervention there and that an angel or something like restrained me. I'm not sure how you go 60 and hit something and and don't really move. Secondly, on my birthday, June 23rd, 1991, I was arrested on my 16th birthday. Um, It's always fun. Um, For vandalism. Um, And I'd actually done a fair amount of that before that time and finally got caught. So God was gracious to allow that to happen to me, but that's definitely an attention getter. And so then that fall, I remember the Sunday being in my high school Sunday school class, and we listened, we actually watched a videotape of Tony Campolo, preacher maybe some of you know, from Philadelphia, and he was preaching on the importance of spending time in God's Word, and that day I decided that I was going to read the Bible. And honestly, by God's grace, that's been a pattern in my life now for 25 years. And I will tell you, I've been to Bible college for four years and taken a few seminary classes where it was like required reading that I'd read the Bible and pour hours and hours and hours into prepping. But I will tell you, reading God's Word on a daily basis will do more to transform your life than going to Bible college, will do more to transform your life than going to seminary. I'm not saying those things are bad or unnecessary. It's very helpful for me. But don't think that in order to really be passionate about God's word, you have to go to Bible college or seminary or like carve out tons and tons and tons of time. That's not true. That's not true. We are so blessed to have multiple English Bible translations. And if you don't like to read, you have an audio on your phone and you can just listen all the time. Do you realize how crazy that is? That is crazy. My dad likes to tell me a story. My dad instilled in me a love for God's word, and he likes to tell a story about a guy who was a prisoner of war in a a Vietnam prisoner of war camp. And this is a little disgusting, but it's okay. It tells you how much we should value the word of God. The Viet Cong were using old Bibles as toilet paper. And it was the prisoner's job to, like, you know, clean up the latrine and stuff. And so this guy was a believer and, you know, had been enslaved and imprisoned for a while and realized what was going on. So he would, like, wash off these pages of the Bible because that's how much he treasured God's word. And it, it sustained him in his captivity. And, and 
we, we like carry these books around and we don't treasure the word of God. So as a church, we haven't led well in that. We have valued the story of God, which is awesome and so important. But we've never matured on towards a devotion to the scriptures. We've talked about gospel rhythms. Some of you have heard those. Story formed, listen. But I think we needed to be more explicit, frankly, than saying, oh, we know God's story, or we listen backwards through God's word. I think we needed to be less cool, frankly, and more clear, and just say, we are people who value the Bible. It's not cool to say that, but it is, it's what Jesus has called us to. So we're going to call our church family to a couple of things. To bear fruit in keeping with repentance on biblical illiteracy. We don't know our Bibles. We don't know our Bibles. And we've banged the drum for mission. Go make disciples. Go tell people about Jesus. And some of us have been following Jesus for either a little bit of time or a long period of time, and you're hearing us say, go tell people about Jesus, and you've never read the New Testament. Not even the whole Bible. You've never read the New Testament. And you're saying, I will die for Jesus. I believe that when I die, I'm going to spend eternity with Jesus. But you haven't even read the book. You're staking your eternal destiny on something you don't even know about. We have not led well in this area. So, we're calling our church family to be devoted to the scriptures this year. We've created a Bible reading plan. We're not going to try to read the whole thing, okay? Some of you have tried to do that, and you get halfway through Exodus, and God starts giving the plan for that tabernacle, and you're like, dude, um, I'm not a big fan of curtains, uh, so I don't understand why there's four chapters on curtains and embroidery and this, that, and the other thing. It's like, I'm, I'm done. Game over. And if you survive that and you make it to Leviticus, then you're really lost, right? And then numbers is like counting stuff. You're like, wow, this got really slow. So we're not going to try to do that yet, though God might call some of you to do that. We're going to pass out a, a plan that gets you through the book of Psalms two times and the New Testament once in a whole year. Okay? Now, some of you might get that and go, this is great. I want more. Go for it. Okay, go for it. But for some of you, just to read six out of seven days, which is what we did for the plan, we built an extra day in there. So there's no assignment for Sunday. There's, there's a handful of these on the Connect table in the back if you want to grab one. This is the plan for the whole year. It's going to go on Facebook, Soma Connect, Twitter today if you want to find this. And then we'll communicate it every single Sunday what the plan is for that week. So we're going to try to keep this as a live thing, okay? But we built in Sunday as an extra day, a day off, or a catch-up day because we know people are going to fall behind. So it's basically one psalm and one chapter in the New Testament a day, pretty much, okay? So we're going to do that, and we're also going to put out a monthly Bible memory verse for the entire church family. The kids are involved in this as well, Okay? So before I go to the scriptures and kind of make a little bit of a biblical case for why we should be devoted to God's word, and then I'll talk a little bit about some practical like hows to give you some handles to to actually begin to to walk this out, Um, I want to ask you a question for you to think about. A couple questions, actually. What do you read, watch, or listen to the most? 
What do you read, watch, or listen to the most? What shapes your thinking the most? What voices are most prominent in your life? What do you read, watch, or listen to the most? What shapes your thinking the most? And what voices are most prominent in your life? So with those questions in your mind, I want to read a handful of scriptures that highlight the importance of being devoted to God's word. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. That might sound familiar. Jesus said it was the greatest commandment. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You see how holistic that is? The word of God should be falling from our our mouths and our lips pretty much all the time. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Maybe you've seen Orthodox Jews. They have little, they're called phylacteries, little wooden boxes, and they literally tie them with leather bands to their arms and around their foreheads because they're, they're, they're taking a literal interpretation of Deuteronomy 6. Like, I want the word of God tied to me all the time. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You see how the word of God is to be central and just permeate the life of God's people. Next, Deuteronomy 17, 18 through 20. This is guidelines for kings. And when the king sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests. So you don't like reading Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers? Imagine writing it all out. Each king was supposed to have a handwritten copy of the law. And it shall be with him, and he shall read in it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or the left so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. God's plan for healthy leadership was devotion to the word of God. Next, Psalm 119, verse 11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. If you're like me, when you were a kid, you learned some memory verses in the King James. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might, sin against, that I might not sin against thee. Right? That's a familiar verse to us. But how many of you struggle with temptation? How many of you want to gain victory over certain sins in your life? Okay? Now, memorizing scripture, being devoted to the word, isn't the magic pill. It's not the only thing. But I will tell you, victory over sin is not possible without the word of God. It's not possible. The word of God will give you victory over sin and temptation. Next, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God. It is like, it's, it's literally, it's God exhaled. 
and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. A couple things in this verse. First, we talk a lot about hearing the Spirit, listening to the Spirit, and hearing God's voice. And I know just from conversations with a lot of you, we struggle with that. I struggle with that. There's times where I say, hey, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? How should I behave in this situation? Crickets, right? Nothing. It's like, I can't, it's hard to hear God. It's, 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 it takes a lot of training, a lot of discipline. But guess what? If all scripture is breathed out by God and you want to hear God, literally all you have to do is this. Because he speaks through his word. How many times when we're wrestling with something do we go, oh God, talk to me. Talk to me. But we don't go, God, talk to me. Talk to me. We don't seek out the voice of God in the word of God. So much we don't do that. And honestly, as a leader, I want to take responsibility for our poor communication on that topic. Or we have pushed and pushed and pushed and said, listen to the Spirit, listen to the Spirit, listen to the Spirit. And we have not said, listen to the Word, listen to the Word, listen to the Word. Open your Bible, go find out what God says. And secondly, many of us want to be equipped for good works. We want to do ministry. We want to serve people, bless people, use our gifts, be involved in the, in the life of the church, be involved in the life of the city. And the Bible says that the word of God equips us for every good work. Okay, next, Matthew 4, 4. This is Jesus in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. Each, with each temptation, Jesus responds to Satan with scripture. The first temptation turns stones into bread. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 8.3 and says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I've got several things to say about this. First of all, the word of God is key to victory over temptation. If Jesus Christ himself needed the word of God to win victory over temptation from Satan, then how much more do we? When Satan comes knocking, when Satan comes lying, wanting to steal, kill, and destroy, do we have any word of God bullets in our gun to shoot back at him? Do we have any? Have we deposited any Bible into our hearts and minds to be able to throw back at him? Okay? We need the word of God to gain victory over temptation. Jesus is an example of that. Remember a few weeks ago, or handful of weeks ago now, we talked about spiritual warfare. Where did we say is the battlefield of spiritual warfare? The mind. The mind. Satan comes with lies. He, he, that's, his, that's his weapon. What does Jesus say? He prays for us. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Why? Because Satan deals in lies. God deals in truth. Your word is truth. That's John 17, 17. We need the truth of God's word to gain victory over temptation from Satan and his lies. But another thing this verse shows us, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Our very souls need the sustenance of God's word. Right? You're, there's, there's, there's an analogy with our body. You need food to stay alive. If you don't eat, you'll die. Jesus is saying your soul will die if you don't eat the word of God. That's what he's saying. Are we eating the word of God, my friends? Are we eating the word of God? Finally, Colossians 3.16. 
And by the way, this is just a sampling, a sampling of scriptures on the scriptures. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The word of Christ is to dwell, to live, to find a home in us as believers. And that, the word of, the preposition of, can also be translated about. It's the word about Christ. It's the word of Christ. John 1 says he is the word. So this verse makes it clear that being devoted to the scriptures through reading and memorization and meditation and obedience is not just a religious exercise. It's not just an intellectual exercise. We don't come to the word of God and say, I want to learn stuff about God. We want the word about Christ, who is the word, to dwell in us. See, it's relational. So the point of being devoted to the Bible is not information, it's transformation. The point of reading the Bible is to have a relational encounter with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is not academic. You're meeting with God. Some of you have favorite authors. You've read lots of their books. Uh, C.S. Lewis is a guy, I've read a handful of his books. And as you read an author over and over, you get a sense that you get to know them. Right? Well, that's with a human and human books. This is a divine book that's alive. So that's why you, you really actually do get to know God through reading his word. So it's not about information. Oh, I got to cram more stuff into my brain. It's about getting to know God and experiencing him as a person. The Bible should be a springboard, like, like a trampoline for our hearts that keeps bouncing us upward in praise, in worship, in confession, in repentance. That's how you know it's relational. It keeps driving you up. Like, oh, I read this. Oh, Jesus, I'm thankful. Oh, Jesus, I repent. Oh, Jesus, I worship you. That's how you know when the Bible's fostering a relational encounter. Now, back to the questions. What do you read, watch, or listen to the most? What shapes your thinking the most? What voices are most prominent in your life? I think we would all freely admit that what we read, watch, or listen to the most will affect our hearts. It absolutely affects our hearts. What we choose to expose ourselves to most affects us most. Our hearts will be drawn to the things that we expose them to over and over and over again. Our mindset will be affected by what we think about the most, by what we dwell on, by what we meditate on. So that's why I think that devotion to the scriptures is really, it's a, it's a heart issue. It's a worship issue. It's about you and I grappling with the really hard question, what do I love most? That's what this is about. Now, listen, if you have believed in Jesus, and many of you have, here's the good news. You have a new heart. 
You have a new heart. So when we ask the question, what do I love most? In a sense, for the believer, there's two answers. One is my new heart answer, and which by the way, is the truest answer for you. That's your real you, your true self, your new creation identity. And that true self always answers, what do I love most? What, what's the answer to, to the new creation, what do I love most? Jesus, always. So if you have a new heart, then guess what you love most right now? Jesus Christ. But see, then there's another answer, and that's my flesh answer. My old man answer, what do I love the most? It's all over the map. In fact, it's anything but Jesus. It's everything but Jesus. So here's the deal. When you devote yourselves to the scriptures in a relational way, guess what you're doing? You're actually feeding your deepest desire. You're, you're feeding the biggest hunger of your soul. That's why people like Jonathan Edwards and C.S. Lewis and John Piper and lots of other guys who are way smarter than me, they say stuff like, you know what? Gorge yourselves, gorge yourselves on your deepest desires. Go full on with your deepest desires because that's God. That's where God's at. And we're like, whoa, that sounds crazy. Can I actually do that? Yes, you can. Gorge yourself on your truest desires. And it'll crowd out. It'll crowd out those lesser desires. So when we say things like, oh man, I just, I'm not sure if I have time. I'm not sure if I have time. First of all, it's a, it's a love issue. It's a value issue. But to make it practical, I just have to ask like, okay, you don't have time. How much time do you spend each day watching TV? How much time do you spend each day reading news stories? How much time do you spend each day reading blogs? How much time do you spend each day on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, or the other latest social media tool, which I have no idea about? And I mean, seriously, each day, like each day, how much time do you spend doing those things? I mean, Binge watching is a thing now. Binge watching. We got time, folks. We got time. The question is not, do I have time? It's what am I doing with my time? And the place where we're putting our time is a way of saying over and over and over again, this is what I value, this is what's most important, this is what I love, this is what I worship. There are 1,440 minutes in each day. 1,440 minutes in each day. If we have trusted Jesus as our Savior, and we have a new heart, a heart that delights in Jesus and delights in his word, then I'm sure we have a few minutes for God and his word. I'm sure we'll find him. So, a couple practical things. First of all, I, get, I want to give you one real practical tool for reading the Bible in a way that helps foster this relational encounter. Because some of you are like, okay, I'm convinced, I'm in, I'm going to read, but how am I going to meet Jesus when I read? Simple tool, four questions. Okay, first, who is God? This should be on the screen. Bingo. Who's God? What has he done? Who are we in light of that? And how do we live? Usually, when you and I read the Bible, what's the first question we ask? Say it louder. 
How do we live? Like, how does this apply to my life? Right? That's the question we're all asking. That's why numbers of priests in numbers is like, what the heck? I have no idea. Not sure how this relates to, to my life. So we skip past it, right? But this says... We're starting with the wrong question. So we've got to start with the first question, who is God? Why? Because this is God's story. Every page is about him. Every page has a theological agenda. Every page, including the tabernacle, including the Levitical sacrifices, including the numbers, have a big-time theological agenda. They're wanting to communicate something to you and I about the character and nature of God. Why? Because the purpose of reading the Bible is to foster a relational encounter. It's all about God. Second, what has he done? We need to understand the work of God so that we can understand, number three, who am I? See, all of our action flows out of our, our identity, our sense of who we are and, and what we believe to be true about us. And the only place we get a real identity is understanding the work of God on our behalf. So those are four questions. There's a, a sheet that I created here, a tool, it's just one page. There's some out on the Connect table if you want to grab these. This and the, uh, the reading plan will also be uploaded as PDF files with the audio for today's talk, if you would like to get those. A um, couple more things on reading. Read the scriptures with your children if they're old enough. plan to take my boys through the New Testament this year. Uh, read, with your, uh, read with somebody from, from our church family. Read with a friend. Read with a roommate, a housemate, a spouse, a coworker. It's easier if there's somebody else involved. Um, use an audio Bible if you can't read, if you don't like to read. There's audio Bibles for your phone. There's audio Bibles for your computer. It's all free. Use any translation. Um, if you need a Bible, let us know. We'll get you a Bible. Read in the morning. Read at night. Read on your lunch. I mean, there's a million ways to do this, okay? just want to encourage it in a way that's accessible to everybody. Finally, Scripture memory. For this month, we're going to try to memorize together Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 20, which should appear on the screen. And we chose this passage for a number of reasons, but one, we wanted to start with the power of the gospel. The power of gospel to save, to transform, and, and we love the fact that this verse makes it clear, verse 16 makes it clear that the gospel is for everybody. It's been a big theme for the last year. We want to continue on in that. So... What I've done over the years to memorize scripture is what I call the three by five gospel, okay? It's just my personal thing. You can take it or leave it, but I'll just tell you what's worked for me. So I get a three by five card, write the passage on it. This one required front and back. And while you're brushing your teeth, you put this card in front of you, okay? And you read it, think about it, meditate on it. A little tip for memorizing, think about each and every word. Each and every word matters. Why is that word there? What does that word mean? And just seriously, just read through it, meditate on it. If you do that twice a day, okay, you should be brushing your teeth twice a day, everybody. <laughs> if you do that twice a day, at the end of a week, you will have a verse memorized. I can almost guarantee it. So that requires basically no extra time in your day unless you're, you know, scrolling through Twitter while you're brushing your teeth. Um, so you can use that time uh, to, to memorize a scripture. This is five verses. So hopefully in a month we can have that knocked out. Okay, I want to end with one verse and then lead us to prayer. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. 
In my mind, this verse brings together what we experienced last year and what we're hoping to experience in 2017, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, because through the power of the gospel, the veil over our face, which blinds us from truth, has been removed, and now we're beholding the glory of the Lord. Do you realize that's what Moses asked God to let him do in the Old Testament? Show me your glory. And now Paul's saying, we can behold the glory of the Lord. That's amazing. It's God's grace. And through that process, we are being transformed into the same image, the image we were originally created in, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So through the power of the Spirit, as we gaze on the beauty of Jesus Christ revealed through his word, through creation, through his people, what happens? We're changed. We're transformed. And that's what Jesus wants to do in us. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll proceed. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for your word. Thank you for revealing yourself through the scriptures. Thank you for grabbing a hold of my heart when I was 16, and you've never let go. You remain faithful even when we are not faithful. That's what 2 Timothy says. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you that you have already put this desire in our hearts. We don't have to muster something up or drum something up. Thank you that this is not legalistic. It's not about a checklist. Thank you that it's about a relationship, that you want to sit down and commune with us. Revelation 3.20 says you're knocking at the door, and if we answer, you're going to come in and have a meal with us. So I pray that in 2017... People in this room, people who are hearing this talk, would, some of them for the first time, devote themselves to reading the scriptures and really encounter Jesus in a powerful way. I pray that this would change our conversations as a church family, change our missional communities, change our DNA groups, change our conversations. Would you spur us on, Holy Spirit? Would you spur us on? I want to give thanks to you for 2016. We say praise you, Father, Son, and Spirit, for your faithfulness, your mercy, and your love. Praise you for what you've done. And we cry out to you. We say we need you in 2017 to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Oh, how we need you. Please help us. Please help us. And we do pray in the name of Jesus that people all over the city would encounter Jesus Christ. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that you've removed every relational obstacle so you could come and make your home in our hearts.